Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, the show where we spill the tea on the occult and read the leaves to filth. I'm your host Rowan and in this week's episode we are talking all about birthday magic with a splash and a dash of horoscopy planetariness. How are you all doing? Have you managed to seamlessly slip into pumpkin spice season as effortlessly as I have? I hope so. I hope so. Uh, we, we, we have this rule. We have this rule in our house that you have to be able to spot 13 things that correspond to either autumn or Samhain or Halloween. And when you do this, you can officially start celebrating the season. It originally came from the fact that I was always trying to decorate for Halloween before my husband's birthday in September, which which was yesterday. Uh, so a rule was made. However, this year I made a record-breaking effort and reached the total on the 2nd of September. Um... I haven't actually started decorating yet. I haven't started. I haven't started, but I'm allowed to. I'm allowed. Uh, so things that you can spot are things like leaves autuming, uh, shops selling Halloween decorations, um, and a lot of pumpkin spiced things, candles, lattes, and well, well, do you know what? Talking of pumpkin spice things, I'm officially obsessed by the idea of pumpkin ale. And for those of you who are in the States or Canada, you, uh, you're probably raising your eyebrows right now. Yes, we don't actually have it here. Or at least I can't find it anywhere, which I've mentioned on Cheese Witch Coven. I've had all of the Cheese Witches on the hunt for some British pumpkin spice ale or beer, and we can't seem, we've come up completely empty-handed. But what has been so lovely so lovely, and I can't say this enough, is that all of the witches in our Cheese Witch Coven have been offering to send me pumpkin ale, which is the cutest, which is the nicest. Nearly melted my little frozen heart, it did. And I'm quite tempted to just hash out a whole episode on pumpkins and pumpkin spices. And I know I've done an episode on the legend of, of uh, Jack the Lantern, like Stingy Jack, but I quite like the idea of looking at, you know, pumpkin, clove, cinnamon, ginger, whatever else goes into pumpkin pie spice and talk about all the different magical and mundane uses of the spices and the squash. Um, all while sipping on a pumpkin ale, of course, it sounds like the most cosy episode yet. So thank you again for sending all my love to our fabulous cheese witches out there. Love you all. And as mentioned this week, I want to talk birthdays for several reasons too. We're coming up to all the seasons of the witch. Yes, we have made a full turn around the wheel of the year and we are back again, back, back, back again, where we started this time last year around the autumnal equinox. But also... It was my birthday last week. Happy birthday to me. Congrats and all that. Although, although, this said, I must add, I didn't celebrate on my birthday. I'm such a queen. If my birthday falls on an unfavourable day, I have a tendency to just switch up and celebrate my birthday on another day. In fact, I pretend that the actual day doesn't even exist. When people send me birthday messages, I ignore them. Cards, don't want them. Now, when it is my, like, unbirthday birthday, I full-on celebrate. And it's actually got to the point where my sister wished me happy birth canal day the other day. Um, just because of how stubborn I am. Um, this might make it seem like I'm just being totally over the top. And I won't make you apologise if that's what you think. But it does come from a place where I really... 
I don't like it when people have two birthdays, you know? Then, you know, like they do a little celebration on the day, something bigger on another day. I just think that's cheeky. No, ma'am, no way. <laughs> that used to be a big thing when kids, like when I was growing up, they'd come to school with their cakes and badges, get cards, and then at the weekend have a party. And we'll kind of just do it all over again. No, no, I say, you're not the queen which is a reference. Now, I'm saying it makes no sense to our non-UK listeners. So in England, um, the Queen, she's got two birthdays. She's got two. I know, right? Um, and it's kind of just become this tradition thing. You know, she doesn't actually, she wasn't born twice. Um, I, I was reading a while, a long time ago, that it comes from um, Edward Seventh baby um and he was king and edward was born in november which you know despite having bonfire night which is it's pretty fun call it's got shite weather really really shite weather it rains it's cold it's really cold and he was hell-bent on having some fancy open air you know open up the gate celebration for the first time in forever um so he moved it over to summer henceforth we have the tradition that royalty get two birthdays cheeky bastards and there you go uh, so I am not you know, you are not the queen you have one birthday get over yourself <laughs> that's what I'm saying um, yeah if you want to have two birthdays go for it it's just not for me too much stress and I've got to the point where I do the same thing every single year there's a farm down the road from us that I take my son to and they do a festival called the Hops and Harvest Festival and it's witchy as fuck love it I love it I love it um, you can pick all the hops listen to live music drink a fruct Frog frogton, frogton. I like that. Like that's a, that means a lot. It's a new word. A frogton. You can drink a frogton of local ales. Um, but where's my pumpkin at? That's what I want to know. And it's bloody lovely. It's bloody lovely. It really is. Um, and there's you know there's apples growing and falling from the trees. They've got a gorgeous herb garden which I sometimes come and steal a few herbs from because it's a really really good herb garden. Very well stocked. Great when you need the odd few bits and pieces for your witchy uh, witchy business. There you go. Frugal witch tips here today. Weren't expecting that. Go to a child's local farm. <laughs> and and, and you know, it, this uh, this celebration always seems to fall. Um, on a weekend after my birthday. So I just sort of pretend that that is my birthday. And then things like, you know, after I've danced with the piggies at the farm in the sun with a nice British ale, we normally have a nice sobering walk along the river, we go to the pub, then we go back home, get my son to bed. Then my husband and I share a drink on the decking with a little bit of a bonfire. And it's the perfect start to autumn and the perfect birthday celebration. I know what I like. I know what I like. <laughs> so I just continue to do it. Right. Well, I've wasted your time talking about my birthday. How selfish of me. Let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about birthday magic. Come on. Right. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. Candles. Right. I want to talk about birthday candles witchy AF, right? You know, marking the revolutions of an object around the sun and then setting intentions with a candle. You do not get more witchy than that. Well, well, you, well yeah, you do, but but not on a birthday. Um, the best part is that it's got, it's got really witchy origins, which I wasn't expecting. Well, I suppose, like, it's got supposed witchy origins, you know, and that's the thing about history. There's just so much supposing. 
Historians are just really good jigsaw puzzle players. And I, you know, I've said this many times before, history is always changing, which seems so strange as history in our minds seems so fixed. But so much of history is made up on the beliefs of the present and the present is never fixed. We're always building new knowledge, which I think is wonderfully philosophical. I kind of feel like I can apply that to myself. My history is never fixed because my present is never fixed. Does that make sense to you out there? You know, like you can look back on your own history and you can sort of re-piece together the puzzle that is your life just in the same way a historian can by adding a new piece in the puzzle to gain a new perspective on something. I find that quite inspirational. Oh, oh, sorry, massive distraction. Cakes, candles, and witches. So, um, so it can be traced back all the way to, um, to ancient Greece, supposedly, where it was believed that the ancient Greeks would put candles on a cake to celebrate the moon goddess Artemis. Now, these cakes would be round, of course, to represent the moon. I nearly said the sun there. The moon. Um, and you'd have the candles, which were there to symbolise the moon's reflection. I feel like candles represent the sun to me. I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, Greeks. The part that I don't really know, and maybe you can fill me in on this one, um, is how it makes this jump from an, a pagan ancient Greek celebration to becoming something that is in a non-pagan society. I think if I was to guess, I would picture that it became something related to a Dianic festival which is the Artemis equivalent to, to Rome, I think. Um, and then perhaps from there it became, you know, wove its way into the Christian faith. Maybe that's like, that's the, that's the best that I've got at the minute, but you let me know out there if you've got something more exciting than that. Um, I had a little read of the, the law of birthdays, which was written in 1952 by Ralph and Adeline Linton. Adeline? Adeline? Aylin, uh, which was published in the Science Education Education Journal, which um, which seems like a real odd place for it to go, but I'm not here to judge what scientists like to read. And there's some really great extracts in there that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna discuss and read here because I think they're quite nice. So originally, the idea of birthdays, greetings, and wishes for happiness was rooted in magic. I like that as a strong statement. The workings of spells for good and evil is the chief usage of witchcraft. One is especially susceptible to such spells on his birthday. Not her birthday, in his. Got some pronouns. As one's personal spirits are about at that time. And I, I kind of love this idea, personal spirits. I don't really know what that means, but I like the fact that I have some spirits that just that know me and, and are like, mate, it, you, you is getting old, I got for you, bruv. You know, something, I don't know. I don't know why my personal spirit talks like that. I imagine they talk like that. So birthday greetings have power for good or ill because one is closer to their spirit world on this day, which I guess is what relates us back to the whole personal spirit business. And I can kind of get that closeness in a way. There is always a lot written about the solstice, having a relationship with the thinner spirit veil, like the thinning of the, the spirit veil. So I can get that connection between birthday and closeness to spirits because you're at the same distance and position to the sun as you were when you were born. Kind of. I don't, like, when I say I get it, I mean, 
I can see a connection. I don't get why it would work or not, but I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying here, guys. Um, so, good wishes on a birthday can bring good fortune, but the reverse is also true. So, one should avoid enemies on one's birthday and be surrounded only by well-wishers. Happy birthday and many happy returns of the day are the traditional greetings. And I think that just seems like good manners, you know? Right? Like, who is throwing shade on someone else's birthday? But is the reverse all true? Also true. Is the reverse also true? Can I cast shade on my birthday? Can I be a shady motherfucker on my birthday? I want to know this. You know, surely that works. If people, if others can do it, surely I can. Okay, uh, we circle back. Let's circle back to cake. Let's come, let's go back to cake. Everyone likes to talk about cake. Talking of cake. Talking of cake. Those of you who follow me on Instagram at SOTW with Rowan. Instagram. I was going to say like .com then, but I don't need to. Um, I posted a picture of an amazing motherfucking pumpkin pie. And I'm going to try and get a recipe together for that one. Go check it out. It's so good. So good. I had a little bit for breakfast. Don't tell anyone. So um, apparently the traditional birthday cake and candles also have their origin in ancient? Ancient pagan idol worship. The ancients believed that the fire of candles had magical properties. They offered prayers and made wishes to be carried to the gods on the flames of the candles. Thus, we still have the widely practiced birthday custom of making wishes, then blowing out the candles. So you are all pagan now. Your mum, your stepdad, Aunt Bertha, a lot of you pagan. The ancient Greeks believed that everyone had a protective spirit or demon who attended his birth and watched over him in life. So, okay, right. So I'm, I'm seeing the connections now. So this relates back to the whole closeness to spirit, right? Oh God, I hope I don't have, I actually hope I don't have someone watching over me. You know, when people talk about like, oh, like, oh, they're watching over you right now. Like, you know, people say that about my mum all the time and I'm like, fucking hope not. I hope not. Like, the shit I get up to, I don't want to see him. <laughs> but just imagine if, like, you did have some, like, spirit or, de- like, demon watching over you, like, and, and you know, like, in ancient Greek time where they, like, erect a statue of them. I just imagine mine just, you know, like, with his head in his hands, like, oh, my God. You know, like, the face palm emoji? That's what I'm picturing for mine. <laughs> I'm trying to think now, in ancient Greek, who would mine have been? I would, my, mine, if it was, like, a goddess god related i guess it would be demeter or persephone kind of like the harvesty deities um and you know what the romans also subscribed to the idea of course they did of course they did stealing anything the ancient greeks did and it was believed well anyway in in these texts that i've read that that this is kind of how we get the idea of a guardian angel and that's where that comes from and the same for you know fairy godmothers and a patron saint that's that's where all this idea comes from thank you ancient greek but probably the ancient Greeks stole it from, I don't know, like the ancient Egyptians. Who knows? I think what we need to bear in mind again is these are just huge jumps to conclusions as well. I mean, obviously educated. They're not they're not jumps. They're educated conclusions that are drawn together from evidence that we have. You know, I don't think it's as simple as the text state. You know, we have storytelling that feeds in over the years and this kind of builds up this idea of cultures mixing together to create these different ideas. Um so yeah, I think there's there's a bit of a jump and a bit of a gap there for me in terms of what evidence is, is given in this article. 
And the other thing to bear in mind is that the text was written in the 50s too. So I'm wondering what research went into away from Western civilization as well. You know, were birthday cakes and candles being used in the East? I do feel that it's got a very Western-centric perspective and that's something that, that hasn't been explored or, or isn't explored as much with some of the research that I've done. It also talks about the birthday candles, saying that in folk belief, they are endowed with special magic for granting wishes relating these to sacrificial fires like a pyre, which I personally feel like is a huge leap. Like, here we have, you know, a sacrificial pyre, a la birthday candle. Maybe I see it. You know, you can see, you see certain things on in the occult, like um, taking a sacrifice and turning them into a mock sacrifice to fit into society. So perhaps this is actually quite feasible that there's a connection here. What I don't come across is what I feel is that missing link, the part where we go from being about um, deities to it being about yourself. Um, and I suppose I suppose the closest mention um, is the discussion around personal gods. Do you feel like you've got a personal god or deity? Um, and does that relate to your birth month? I'm quite interested, actually. You know, this is, this is, this is one area of the craft that I just don't really play around with. A lot of the time I lump some of the deity work into the Fae. And I think some of that comes from the fact that I grew up with um, you know, ancient Greek, ancient Egyptian and ancient Rome lore as fairy tales too. And then, you know, the same as the Fae. So to me, they are very much an area of fantasy. I do also find it quite interesting that a lot of the insta-witches have a closeness and connection to gods from the aforementioned pantheons of, you know, Greek, Egyptian, Roman. Um, and also the Celtic, sometimes Norse, pantheon. And I'm going to go off on a slight musing here. So, uh, so, so muse with me on this one. And I've been wondering to myself, you know, why don't we get more insta-witches connecting with, say, um, Hortu, like the goddess of the soil in Taoism? Um, why is it always a Western deity? Now, is it fear of appropriation? I can't be appropriating if I'm taking something from a seemingly white pantheon, even if I'm not Greek, for example. You know, but Taoism is uh, is an open belief system. <laughs> you know, is it is it about ancestral lineage? And I don't think it always is. You know, if if and if it was, how Greek do you have to be? How ancient Greek do you have to be to honor Persephone? Or is it that? This is the name you choose to talk about, the deity you honour. When you call out, do you call all the different names of the summer, winter goddesses? I find, I, I find deity worship very intriguing. I really do. And it's not something I do at all within my craft. It's something over the years I've kind of danced around, but never got close to. Um, you know, and instinctually I get drawn to the Celtic pantheon due to my heritage, um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I do find myself going to places like Scotland and, and Wales and, um, and I feel drawn to that history. But I also find myself questioning whether that tie is truly a tie or just my fear to explore the way others personify the aspects of those deities around the world. I think for any occult practitioner, there is the hardest, that, that is the hardest line to balance. Not wanting to colonise the world's belief systems, yet also finding something that is authentic to you. I think that's a real, real challenge. You know, um, I must admit, when I started out in my craft, um, most of my readings, I found most of the readings that you can access in the UK 
do come from Wiccan literature. So you do get a lot written around the god and the goddess. And that really never resonated with me at all. And actually, that goes right back to my first episode on the podcast, talking about balance within the craft and the the look at a Wiccan altar and uh, the the idea of light and dark, and but then also feminist feminism and masculinity. Um, feminism? Yes, I was like, did I say feminist? Um, so it, I've never really resonated with that one. Um, quite well I've never really connected with it and I, I always felt like that was a real big missing link and it made me feel like an inauthentic practitioner that I didn't work with deity and a lot of people have told me you know Rowan you know you get into deity it completely changes your um your your the way that you work with the craft um I'm not there I'm not there I don't, I don't feel it and I don't see it I've got too many I've got too much of a questioning mind to get me there unfortunately so, but I'm interested to hear from other people I really I know um, people say it's really personal to, to them but I'm really interested not necessarily your th- thoughts about who if it is a person is it a person it is a deity that you work with but more what your perspectives are so please do you know hit me up in DMs on Instagram at SOTW with Rowan pop it in a comment on a picture if you want to absolutely fine I don't mind but I just I, I enjoy chatting about this shit so talk to me about it do you know, the, the whole time I've been kind of talking about um, birthdays and birthday wishes, it's been on my mind kind of thinking to myself, what did I used to wish for when I was a kid? And, you know, if I'm going to be completely honest with you, I still I still make birthday wishes with candles. A full-grown adult, I do it. I don't care. I don't, you can't stop me. I'm a witch. Of course I'm going to do it. Um, but my, my, my wishes as a kid were really, really quite sad. Like, really sad. This is a sad story now. I'm sorry. I'm telling you a sad story. It's, it's birthday time. We're not supposed to be telling sad stories. Uh, so for years and years, I used to wish that I wasn't fat. And I used the word fat, um, quite, that word, quite purposefully. I know it's a very hurtful word. Um, but that's, that was the word I used as a kid. I, you know, I was overweight. I was told that I was morbidly obese at 12. Um, and I might not have a lot of pictures of it. Um, I did not want pictures being taken of me when I was younger. Uh, but I've got a lot of stretch marks to prove it. And I guess my wish eventually came true. It did. Um, that's the thing. And that's the thing about wishes. There still needs to be a lot of work put into them to materialise them. And I think that is one of the biggest errors I see a lot of new witches doing, setting intentions which are essentially wishes and then waiting or just simply hoping that they would happen. You know, no one composes a song and hopes it will play itself. Wishes and intentions are just the same. And I think that is such a huge misconception that you can just ask for something and it will it will find a way of happening just because you have put it out there into the universe. Sometimes I like to think of them almost as promises. I'm promising to commit to the process that is involved in making something happen. Which is why you should, as they say, always be careful what you wish for. What happens if you can't or won't put the work in to make something a reality? There are some things that I just don't ever wish for or set intentions for because I don't want to put in that work as I'm happy with how things are going the way they are. I have to really commit to an idea in order to materialise it. You know, I'm very aware that some people might just say, well, Rowan, that's just you putting in the work to make something happen. That ain't magic. And I would say, hey, you 
person. I don't think you have a grasp on what magic is. Magic can be an awakening in your body that says, yes, this is going to happen for me. But it can also be the opposite. It can close things off, perhaps to protect, seal and heal. The magic, magic will never do the work for you. And at that age, when I was a little kid, I didn't have the tools to be able to change my body. Most of what I ate was given to me by my parents. Clear your plate was always the rule in our house, which sometimes meant eating past the point where your body says stop. We were quite a sedentary family. Um, and my hobbies that I shared with friends were playing the Super Nintendo, which meant sitting down staring at a screen. I wanted something that, at that age, I didn't have the, the capacity or the knowledge of how to change. And as I grew older, I began changing the way I set intentions. I wished to do things instead, climb mountains, run races, learn to cook new things. And these were all intentions that set me on the path of a healthier lifestyle. The disheartening part came from realising that two decades of having your body carry such weight and gain it so fast at such a young age meant my body never being able to look the way the media portrays it. Not portrays my body, but portrays what a fit, healthy body should look like. You know, I could slim down all I wanted, but it was never going to be a representation of what others thought was acceptable. And that's where I realised that I was setting goals based on what I thought others wanted. The intention setting I had been making as a child were not about me, but were about the shame I had for my body. The taunts, the teasings on the playground, the names I would be called, fat, which I internalised in my own wishes, my own intentions, to not be that word that I am called. And we internalise that shame so easily, never really thinking about where it comes from. And shame is completely external. And I read a book a real long time ago now about shame and its purpose in life, and it's believed by some to exist as a safety mechanism to ensure that people remain within society and are not ostracised. You know, being ostracised from a society hundreds of years ago meant that you would, like, starve to death. And shame is supposed to stop us from continuing those actions, to fall in line with others. And body shaming isn't just something that happens on the playground. It's everywhere you look. It, it becomes part of your subconscious to the point where you start using the language of others to negatively talk about the way your body looks. But ask yourself, how does your body feel? Is it strong? Is it healthy? These are the words that you should be aiming for, not toned, muscular and skinny. You know, my son runs about the garden uh, with his top off, slapping his belly after he's eating a good meal because he puffs his belly puffs up when he's eating a meal. It's brilliant. And he loves the idea that he is a little chunky tummy and there is no shame in his voice, no need to hide. He has a full body positivity and confidence because the world around him hasn't told him how his body should look. And that's exactly how it should be. I know, I know this was a huge side note and I think I was mostly talking to myself and kind of well, my inner child really on this one, but I feel like there are others out there that need to hear that too. And setting intentions to lose weight are a load of shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. Imagine the healthy person. What does she do? Does she, does she enjoy yoga every day? Does she look forward to cooking new healthy foods for herself? Is she, how... How does she get to a point where she's happy 
with her body because our bodies will never truly look like what we want them to. I feel it's just an unattainable goal, an absolutely unattainable goal, especially in a society with doctored imagery. So you need to find something that's, and it sounds, it sounds old hat. It really does. But, you know, finding something that is achievable um, for you because everyone and everybody, literally every space body is different. Right, enough on that. Gosh, get off your soapbox, Rowan. Shut up. <laughs> I want to talk about presents. So back to birthdays. Where do presents come from? Um, there is a belief that there is a little link here with those candles. You know, the funeral pyre, uh, candles of bongon? Bon- <laughs> the frick? Bygone. Sacrificial times. And it's alleged that presents may have originated from the act of offering up a sacrifice to the gods. So it's kind of honouring, but also linked to with the whole spirits that linger around a person, both benevolent and malevolent. So gifts are like a security that someone will stay healthy, happy and safe. Like, here, I'm giving this to the person that looks after you so that you don't die. Um, That was quite extreme. Maybe like, so you are well, you you have abundance and you always have bread on your table. (laughs) Imagine someone saying that to you on your birthday. This is so you don't die, by the way. Um, Look after yourself. I totally, I love this sentiment there as well. Um, you know, the idea of people giving presents for prosperity and health and abundance. More of that. I do think gift giving has become so farcical in our modern world. You know, the idea that your parents have to spend hundreds of pounds on you to celebrate the day you were born is just stupid and toxic. Ugh, gross. Right, before, before I run out of time, what am I even like? That's ridiculous. What am I? Even, I don't even have a timer. Life is my timer. Um, I want to talk about something glaringly obvious, and that's celestial bodies. No, I'm not talking about the hips, curves, and swerves. I'm talking shit like the sun. Uh, the birthday is essentially you recording how many lots of 365 revolutions you've made around the sun. Can you like? Can you imagine how stressful it would be if we did this based on like revolutions the moon made of the earth? Birthdays every 28 days. No thanks. Um, And there is something quite nice about the fact that we take time to reflect on the season and time we were born in. And I think there's a little bit of something to that, you know. Which, saying that, I I can hear that's the most vague sentence I think I've ever said in my life. And there's so much that goes with with those months. You know, birthstones, um, horoscopes, birth flowers, birth trees... Well, birth, I've even seen birth animals. I've seen birth animals. And a lot of this, I'm sure, comes from the fact that we want to have that sense of being connected, connected to something. Uh, you know, like a, an example I would give would be my Celtic tree. That is and the that is vine, which apparently has nothing to do with the fact that I like a tree wine. Um, and apparently it's, um, you know, being born... Under the the autumnal equinox, it makes for someone who is unpredictable, (gasps) contradictive. No, I'm not. And often indecisive. Maybe I am. Um, (laughs) That was so stupid. I'm really sorry. Um, And you you look it up a little bit more and it says uh, this person can see the good and the bad in each story, which makes it hard for them to pick a side. However, they are always sure when it comes to their taste in food, wine, music and art. They have a soft spot for guilty pleasures. Now, 
when I read this, what I start doing is I start cherry picking or I start trying to figure out where some of these things might fit in to almost create an identity for myself. And I do the same with the sun signs. I grew up hating being a Virgo. Hated it. Thought it was ridiculous. Thought it was annoying. I always felt like it was the worst one out of the whole of the horoscopes. I felt like I felt like I got a lot of flack for just being like organized and nitpicky. And and I was so annoyed as a kid that it was just a woman with her boobs out. Not cool as a kid. Cool now. Of course it's cool now. But as a kid, you know, I wanted to be a Leo. I wanted to be a Scorpio. Something badass. And instead I just got a breasty lady pouring water. Which also makes no sense. No sense. Virgo is an earth sign. Why isn't she pouring dirt? <laughs> okay, no, I, like, now I'm saying it. I guess the point is that she's watering the earth. Like she's looking after it. I, I wasn't sold on it. That's the the point is I was not sold. I was not. I wasn't buying it. So um, much of me thinks. Um, much of me thinks that's a uh, that's good English language for you there. Um, I do think a bit of, of astrology is kind of a crock of shit. I know a bit of bullwackle. Um, but then at the same time, I absolutely fucking love it, and I kind of see some science behind some of it says the person who barely passed physics. Um, and I think being born at a different time of year does give you a certain predisposition to certain feelings. You know, there are certain planets that had a stronger pull to you at the time you were born um, and began developing. So I'm thinking of that actual gravitational pull and the effect that gravity can have on the body. And there were certain seasons that affected the clothes you wore and what others wore around you when you were born. So there would have been certain visuals that you saw, certain colours, and over time you became drawn to that particular time and were given joy in it through celebrations. The light of the day also played a part in that perception too, whether that was closer to a solstice or an equinox. And I think we can be informed by a lot of these notions and we can reflect on how they might have an impact on the way we perceive the world. But I don't think they are substitutes or ingredients to our personalities. My, my husband's birthday is just days, days after mine. And yes, we have shared interests and some similarities, but we are both very, very different. And I think these things can give us prompts to reflect on who we are, but they shouldn't be used to tell us who we are. All this said, though, all this said... <laughs> The Saturn return? What the hell? What the frig? Like, I know I've just spent all the time just like running all these things into the ground, but the Saturn return, she got me good. She got me real, real good. Now, I was talking to a, uh, a true friend of the show about this because she, uh, she sure has some feelings on this one too. Now, if you haven't heard of this before, the, the Saturn return is an astrological event that occurs every 27 to like 29 and a half years when the planet Saturn returns to the sign and degree that it was the exact same one it was at when you were born. And this is known to have an impact on serious life changes and events and can induce a real foreboding sense of melancholy. 
Allegedly. And I felt like I totally felt it. I felt it before I even knew that it existed. I remember telling a witchy friend and she was like, oh yeah, that's your Saturn return. Almost like I told her that I heard a, like a grumbling sound and she said, oh, that's your stomach. You're hungry. Um, it was just that natural. And I had this this period of such intense re-evaluation. You know, it, was the, it was the time when I moved house, changed careers. And it was, it was around the same time we adopted our son as well. Too much freaking too much all at once um and you know what i could put my level head on there we go it's on and i could say that the timing is quite common when people have major shifts in their lives you know i looked up some statistics and the average age to have a baby in the uk is 28.9 which falls exactly between the saturn return age range and the average homeowner as well is 28 so we, I, and I don't think that's all of Saturn's doing. You know, Saturn's not that good. Uh, I think that's just a bit of a coincidence, not a causality on this one. You know, I think it's when people have enough money to be able to put a deposit down on a house. And, you know, then once they've got that house, followed by that 28.9 age, then people feel comfortable having a baby. Right. Well, that was a bit of a U-turn. I went from telling you how major the Saturn return is and left telling you that it might just be coincidence. Um... But all of that, all of that got me thinking about, about returns in general, because no one really talks about the other types of returns. So I looked up some other returns for you because I am a responsible and well-informed podcast witch person. Um, so let's talk about the Jupiter return, um, which happens at 12, 24, 36 and 48 and so on. Um, and it's also well, this one, this one is is largely about being able to seize an opportunity. Carpe diem, seize the fish. Um, now, I've never heard of a Jupiter return in my life, in my life. But Jupiter is known to be a planet of abundance and good fortune. So your Jupiter return also tends to be, okay, right, right. I got this from from a magazine, like an online magazine, and this this was great. This was great. Give me a second. Give me a moment. So, <clears throat> your Jupiter return also tends to be your emerald year in which you are the cosmic prom queen. <laughs> yeah, you heard it. Freaking cosmic prom queen. Oh, that was from the highly reputable wellandgood.com. I think that's like an online magazine type thing. Um, and now I am totally down for being a cosmic prom queen. Um, but in all seriousness, what am I supposed to do with that information? How does that help me? What does that even mean? We don't even have prom here or prom queens. We have like a dinner formal. And we may call it prom. I think we did in our school. I, you know, I com I contemplated wearing a dress for prom just to be like, fuck the patriarchy. But my mum said she would buy me a suit, and I figured it would be like good for like job interviews because I was really pragmatic at that age. Uh, I still had really long black hair, and I wore a full face of makeup. Um, I had this weird thing where they gave out like these bullshit certificates. Um. I think it was essentially just for the teachers just to be real shady as hell. Uh, I got one, I, I got, I think I got two certificates. One was called the Pin Cushion Award for the most piercings. I can't remember what the other one was for, probably for being too gay. That's probably what the other award was, just being too freaking gay. Um, right, talking of which, uh, let's move to, uh, let's move to our next planet, Uranus. Uranus turns every 84 years, apparently. And there is such a good joke nestled in between Uranus there. 
I just can't find it. Um, ah! <laughs> I found it. There it was. You're welcome. Gosh, that was effortless. Um, I don't think we're going to bother too much with the Uranus return, mostly because I don't have a whole lot of notes on it. But the, the planet is kind of cool, right? You know, because it, it rotates on its side. So both poles are exposed to the sun. And I think this is cool because if you were to stand on the North Pole of Uranus, you would see, I can't, I can't I'm going to have to call it Uranus, I can't even call it Uranus, that just sounds stupid. So if you were to stand on the North Pole, you would see the sun rise in the sky and then it would just circle around for 42 years. It just wouldn't set until the end of those 42 years. And by the end of that, that really long summer, the sun would finally dip down below the horizon. And this would be followed by 42 years of darkness, although no, otherwise known as a single winter. Um... And then boom, you've got, you've got 84 years. That's that's a full cycle. So I guess it's about, I guess Uranus return is about the long haul, the reflection. Um, I guess that's what I'd be thinking when I was 84, you know, at 42 and then I've got my kind of wind down, perhaps my winter, mother maiden crone, something, something, something. Um, you know, you might be, I might be thinking about abundance, difficulty, um, sustaining abundance. I don't really know. There's, and to be honest, there's not much about a Uranus return, if I'm completely honest, because it's eight, every 84 years. So, like, no one gives a shit by that point. Most people don't get to, most people don't get to experience it. People live past 84, what we're talking about. A Venus return, on the other hand, well, she's a whore. She comes once a year. Well, that's not too slutty, but compared to Uranus, it is. I swear these jokes write themselves. That was good. That was, I liked that one. I liked that one. Apparently, Venus rules over love and beauty, which, like, okay. Uh, sorry, I don't know. I don't know. I had a child off then. Um, I guess, I, I guess, I just don't really know what to do with that information. Does this explain why I only seem to have a good hair day, like, once a year? Thanks, Venus. <laughs> Apparently, um, a Mercury return is once a year too and falls almost always on your birthday, which is kind of cool, right? So orbits at 176 days for a full revolution, which makes for a 352 in an Earth year. So not completely on your birthday, but almost. A Mercury return focuses on how we might express ourselves, our communication patterns and opportunities to gain knowledge during that next cycle. Thanks, horoscope.com. <laughs> and this all kind of aligns with um, with what I'm up to right now. And I'm cool with that. Like, I'm starting a new job, a new qualification, yada yada, let's move on. Um, and I suppose that kind of relates as well to, you know, the whole communication element in terms of... Um, retrograde as well that's one of the big big known ones about mercury retrograde um communication and communication often comes down to um to phones as well and social media right let's go mars return this happens every 1.5 to 2 years and it's not usually near your birthday because mars is the planet of action and spontaneity uh, this kind of return explains the type of events someone may experience in the next two years. It guides where our passions will be, our motivations, and our driving forces. Ugh, Mars. I like that. It's kind of sexy. 
Um, what would be quite nice to do is if if you were to plot some of these returns out, the dates where they're you know they are your returns, you could do some divination to think about that next cycle. I like that idea. I think that's a, and that would be a really nice one to then jot down in your book of shadows. Oh, just give me some activities. You're welcome. Um, and do you know what you're probably thinking? How do you find out your return date? And there's a pretty cool calculator on the web, which come, if you type it on Google, um, planet returns, and it comes up planet returns, natal planetary revolutions, online astrology. I'll try and pop this in the, the show notes. The website was horoscopes.astro seek.com and planet revolutions returns. Um, so you go, if you give a hoot, you can go and turn full of hoot. Um, if you give a hoot, you can go and have a little... A little look at that. You may be thinking at this point, Rowan, you've missed some planets off. What about Neptune, you ask? Or Pluto? Sorry, Pluto. We're not going to go into that one. Well, you're not getting a Neptune return because that shit takes like 165 years. And I'm, I'm sure... If, if I could find a spiel for it as to what a Neptune return would be, it would be like, um, Neptune return, 165 years. You are a vampire. Avoid garlic and the sun. Try to cut back on blood with artificial colours and flavourings. Something like that. Uh, so what about you? What are your thoughts on horoscopes, zodiacs, birth trees, birthstones and candles? Let me know. Or don't, that's fine. We all have secrets. <laughs> A delve into the chaos that is my thought processes. Oh, and also birthdays and witchcraft. Our first episode together launched on the 21st of September 2020, which is so bizarre to think that we have come this far. And for the fact that I stuck it through. Real talk there. There have been so many times that I've wanted to throw in the towel, as I say so many times. This isn't something I do for money. But for all the love that I get from you folk out there, you are all what's made this show. Not me. If it was me, I would have jacked in on episode three. So thank you for your continued support for the show. Keep liking, sharing, commenting, and whatever an algorithm likes out of that. It all helps keep the show coming. Now, before I go, I want to say a massive thank you from River.Creature, mm, River Creature, who says over on Apple Podcast Reviews, uh, love this, love Rowan. One of my fave podcasts. I always listen leading up to solstices and equinoxes to get festive. Jingle, jingle. Uh, learn some witchy things and have some laughs with Rowan. Well, I'm glad that I can be the bell to your tail, bringing you all the festive goodies. You'll be happy to know that I have a um, autumnal equinox episode bubbling soon, so uh, stay festive. Those of you who are not there already, come join our Cheese Witch Coven over on Facebook by searching Cheese Witch Coven, where we get together in our little community to talk all things pagan. You can also follow me over at SOTW with Rowan on Instagram. Right, you've been listening to Season of the Witch with Rowan Oaken, the Barbaras of Hocus Pocus. Until next time, don't forget to stay witchy, bitchy, sassy, and classy. Jen, are you still there? Follow the hoot. <laughs> I'm so stupid.